Thank you for listening to Roots and Wings, a podcast produced by the Tennessee Commission on Children and Youth. I'm Jonquil Newland. In Tennessee, the number one killer of children above the age of one are firearms. For children and youth younger than 17 years old, Tennessee's rate of gun deaths is 36% higher than the national average. It's a hard statistic to swallow, especially when you consider that Tennessee's black and brown children are killed at twice the rate as white children. For example, in 2021, 67 children were killed by homicide. 53 of those child victims were black. Now, aside from the overwhelming impact on guns on one racial or social group, the data shows that Tennessee has room for improvement in other areas as well. A report released in August by the Tennessee Department of Health, District Attorney's Office, and Child Welfare Advocates show that the overall mortality rate from all causes of death like accidents, suicides, premature births, medical conditions, and murder is nearly twice the national average. However, on this episode, we're going to focus our discussion on firearms. Dr. Kelsey Gastonaw is a pediatrician at Monroe Carl Jr. Children's Hospital at Vanderbilt and a national expert on firearms violence. She joins me now. Kelsey, thank you so much for being a guest on Roots and Wings. It is my absolute pleasure to be here. Um, Definitely not a topic that I want to be talking about, um, but something that I find to be very important. I'm hopeful that your listeners will learn something from us today. I can't share enough uh, agreements with you. Um, Absolutely, doctor. Thank you so much. First off, I I wanted to know, as your role as a pediatrician, would you be willing to talk about your experience treating or caring for children who have injuries from firearms? What is that like? Yeah. Um, So I went into my pediatrics residency a few years ago, as many pediatricians do, excited, wide-eyed, ready to help children grow and learn um, and to become these fabulous adults. Um, I was ready to help them heal from things like asthma, things like diabetes, and even scary things like cancer. Um, But I was not prepared to help them heal and even help families cope with them dying from firearm injuries. And that was something that stunned me and shocked me because of the rate that I was helping them heal from those time and time again. In every single rotation I had during my residency in the emergency department, I was seeing children come in with firearm injuries. Mm. Every single time I had a rotation in the pediatric ICU, I was helping children heal or helping families cope with deaths of children from firearm injuries young children with unintentional injuries, school-age kids um, that were dying from homicide or interpersonal violence, and teenagers from suicide. There is almost nothing like that. It's just, it is a horrific feeling as a pediatrician to lay your stethoscope on a young boy and to hear what is probably going to be the final heartbeats of and of that adolescent who just hours before was playing video games and due to an impulsive action because they were in crisis because everybody goes through crises they were able to access an unsecured firearm and make a decision that was gonna end up having them lose their life wow yeah and we as pediatricians are seeing that more and more frequently in our children and it weighs a lot on us it's really heavy 
those are very powerful wor- words and um, it kind of gives me chills even thinking about it because it's hard, you know, when the pandemic happened, obviously people were, were thinking about folks in healthcare and, and, and we still are, but specifically here in Tennessee and with just some of the data and statistics that I just read about, obviously, and with the story you just talked about, it's like, this is becoming something that it's, it's becoming harder and harder to brush under the rug or just kind of, we all know what's happening, but let's not talk about it kind of thing. So I really appreciate you sharing those stories. Aside from being a pediatrician, though, I, I would like to know, how did you become known as a national expert on firearms violence? Yeah. Um, I have to say, as a pediatrician, um, I don't want to be. Right. <laughs> um, it's nothing. A pediatrician never wants to be an expert on firearm injuries. Um, but when it's the leading cause of death for the kids that you're taking care of, um, there is nothing that's going to light a fire under you more than that. Um, and it's time for me. It was those stories in residency and in my training that got me off the sidelines. Pediatricians are experts in many things, but one of the things that we are most expert in is prevention. We talk about it all the time. We, we talk about anticipatory guidance for all sorts of things. And so this is something that we can really help out for. Um, and so I chose to dedicate my life and my career to firearm injury prevention, both as a physician advocate, but also as a public health researcher. And so I chose to go into fellowship and to get my master's of public health to really learn how can I help not just the kids that I'm taking care of in the hospital, but how do I help reduce fire firearm injuries outside of the hospital by learning about this complex issue on intentional injuries, suicides, homicides, and what are the risk factors and protective factors that we can help reduce these injuries so I no longer have to say that it's the leading cause of death for injuries and, and, and deaths for our kids, and I no longer have to tell a parent that they've lost a child. And so what my research has really focused on is using um, databases, existing databases, that we can learn what are the the risk and protective factors, what's leading to these injuries and deaths for kids, and what are the long-term sequelae. We know that in 2021, over 4,700 children died from firearm injuries, and those were all horrific and tragic. But we know also that firearm injuries um, go, go much further beyond that, that there's a ripple effect when it comes to firearm injuries. Um, Two to three times that number, at least, kids are are suffering a non-fatal firearm injury. Those kids go on to have long-term morbidity. They have um, major psychiatric conditions, depression, anxiety, PTSD. They have significant school disruptions. They're coming back to see the doctor more frequently. They have to come to the emergency department, the hospital more frequently. They have to stay in the hospital for longer, all compared to kids that don't have firearm injuries. So these are major disruptions for our kids, for our families. There's a major cost associated to that. And so I find it to be my duty as a pediatrician to both learn about this, but also to, to use the privilege that I have with those patient stories to reduce firearm injuries in kids. Well spoken. Thank you so much for that, doctor. I'd like to know a little bit more as well. Like, Can you explain why Tennessee's firearm rates are so much higher than the national average? 
Yeah, it's a, um, it's a startling statistic, isn't Very much, it? Yeah. Um, and the Sycamore Institute recently came out with a really great report. So I highly recommend if people have questions about this to really look into it. Um, they did a phenomenal job breaking down this really complex issue, this really complex data um, to look into this a little bit more. But what they found was that shooting death rates in Tennessee have really skyrocketed in the last decade. So we have seen them increase in the last 10 years by over 50%. Wow. That's compared to only 1% increase in that decade before. Wow. Wow. As a pediatrician, that is devastating to me. And as, a, as someone who has dedicated their life and their career to helping kids stay healthy and helping the community stay safe, that really hits home to me. Especially when we think about for different age groups that the fastest rising rate for fire injuries was in our kids. So for Tennessee, for the leading cause of death in Tennessee kids, we actually saw firearms overtake motor vehicle collisions in 2017. That was true in 2018, that was true in 2020 and 2021. So while it nationally happened for for firearms to become the leading cause of death in 2020, we saw it even a few years earlier. Again, that is absolutely devastating to me. And we know that firearm injuries vary geographically um, and that the Southeast bears a disproportionate burden. Um, And so we know that states like Louisiana, Alabama, where I trained in South Carolina, all have higher rates of firearm injury. And let's be honest, this is a very complex issue, like Mm -hmm. a lot of public health issues. So there's a lot of factors that will play. But we know, based off significant research, that one of the biggest factors is access to an unsecured firearm. And we know that in Tennessee, we do have a higher rate of firearm ownership. And so one of the things that we as adults have to help out with our kids is how do we keep them safe from the firearms that we do have? And one of the best ways that we can do that is by keeping the firearms stored securely. I want to bring up a a few more um, statistics and polls, if you don't mind. Um, And speaking of a poll, in a poll conducted by Vanderbilt University in fall of 2022, more than a thousand Tennessee parents, they were polled in this about firearm ownership and how they feel about storing firearms safely. And the results show really an overwhelming number of parents who own firearms support safe storage. Can you talk a a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So this is a poll that's conducted every year to really gauge parents' interest and their um, their concerns about a wide variety of topics. So we ask about things like vaccines, education, schooling, and this was the first year that we asked specifically about firearm secure storage and some other um, topics. But that was because the year prior, we had asked about school gun violence, um, and we asked if that was a concern for them. And it was a top five concern for for families. And so we really wanted to delve a little bit deeper into that. Um, And so one of the questions that we asked was about secure storage to, again, gauge their interest in if this was something um, that firearm owning families were interested in and how we could help uh, moving forward. And so here in Tennessee, one in two families that have children are firearm owners. And so when we asked about secure storage, the overwhelming majority of families said that they agreed that secure storage is extremely important. Over 90% said that secure storage is important if there's a firearm in the home. And we know that's really important because secure storage can reduce the risk of firearm injuries. When families or households that have firearms store firearms, 
in a locked manner with ammunition stored separately, the risk of unintentional injuries decreases by 85% and the risk for self-inflicted injuries in children and teens decreases by 78%. So the fact that we saw an overwhelming support for secure storage by our parents was absolutely just it was thrilling for me to see as a pediatrician um and a community member as well yeah absolutely um the Vanderbilt Child Health Poll it also shows that school-based gun violence and you were kind of mentioning that a little bit earlier is among the top five concerns for Tennessee parents can you explain some of the other findings in that poll as it pertains to schools specifically and firearms yeah and and we really wanted to, to look at this a little bit more not only because it was a Tennessee parent concern but I think we can um we can all rationalize and we can empathize with parents, right? So we've seen school um, incidents of, sc- of gunfire on school grounds increasing year over year over year. So it's an understandable concern for all of our parents and all of our community members. Um, and so we wanted to, to get parents um, to gauge parents' concerns about this, but also what can we do? One of the reasons that we conduct this poll is to really empower parents to have data from them, by them, for them to really do something so that they feel empowered, that they're not hopeless yeah. in this firearm epidemic, in this public health crisis. And so what we saw was, again, Tennessee parents had a, a majority a majority of parents agreed on a lot of common sense policies. The majority of of them agreed that we should have um, expanded background checks. Um, over 70% of parents agreed on that for all gun sales. Um, if students, staff, and visitors should go through something like a metal detector, um, if firearm access could be temporarily restricted through a civil court order, so that's something like an extreme risk protection law, um, over 60%, almost two-thirds agreed with that. Um, but I also think it's important to talk about uh, what they didn't agree on. Mm. Um, and so what we did not see parents agree with with something like um, arming teachers. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. That would be, um, and that's a tough subject, right? Like, as you mentioned, this is an extremely complex issue. Um, and it's hard to think that more guns would solve gun problems. And and I think that's where maybe a lot of the parents uh, would have a hard time agreeing with that. You, you used the word a little bit earlier, uh, epidemic. Is this truly at that point? Are we at an epidemic? Yes. Yes. I think when you see this as the leading cause of death for children in the United States and in many states themselves, when you have 4,700 children dying by something um, and it's getting worse year over a year, I think we can qualify this as an epidemic. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you um, you said that. I appreciate that. What kind of resources or classes might be available to parents who really do want to educate themselves on firearms and how they impact children and youth? Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, if parents are wanting to delve into the, the data a little bit more, the Sycamore Institute res- report was so wonderful. Please check out these polls to get a little more data to really empower yourself. Um, pediatricians are a phenomenal resource. Uh, we, we are willing, able, and excited to talk to parents about the solutions that work for them. If there is a firearm in the home, we are excited to chat about how do we help reduce the risk of firearm injuries in the home, um, whether that be through a cable lock, a trigger lock, a lockbox, a safe, and a lot of pediatricians' offices might even have cable gun locks that they can offer families or give them access to um, a lockbox or, or, you know, through a, a local law enforcement. Project Child Safe, 
through um, the NSSF is another phenomenal resource that has um, parent tips, parent guidelines. I particularly like them because they have some really great resources to talk through suicide prevention mm-hmm. um, with adolescents. Um, and that's the National um, Sport and Shooting Foundation. And so they, they are very um, appropriate when it comes to um, having some cultural humility with gun owners as well. And you can get um, free secure storage devices through Project Child Safe. So really like that resource for parents. Um, my favorite resource that I have been using throughout my entire clinical um, career has been something called Be Smart for Kids. So Be Smart for Kids is a gun safety educational campaign that is focused on helping adults in the community really think about how do we keep kids safe from guns. It is completely apolitical, nonpartisan, but really focuses on how to keep kids safe from firearms. So it's an acronym, SMART. S stands for securing all the firearms in the home, locked, unloaded, separate from ammunition is the ideal way. M is modeling responsible behavior. So we know that when there is a firearm that we should help kids say, okay, I shouldn't be touching this, leave and walk away. And that's ideal. And we know that teaching kids is something that is necessary, but insufficient. So it's always the adult's responsibility to make sure that the environment is as safe for the child as possible. A is my favorite part of the acronym, which is asking about the presence of unsecured firearms where the child goes and visits. So we know in Tennessee, one in two families has a firearm, but that means one in two families don't. So for our non-firearm owning families, it's really important to ask about the presence of firearms where kids might go and visit. We know kids don't live in silos, and so they might go on play dates. They might go to sleepovers. They might be going to visit on Thanksgiving. And so this is something to really think about um, when we're having our kids go into other homes. And I'll be honest, it can be awkward. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I bet. (laughs) And and so there's lots of good resources on besmartforkids.org that can help parents think about maybe I could text. Um, Wrap it in with things like allergies, car seats, are there dogs in the home? Things that as parents you're already asking about anyways. And again, let's be honest, being a parent is awkward and you're thinking about awkward stuff all the time anyways. And so this is something awkward that can also be life-saving. So highly recommend folding it in. Absolutely. Okay. R is recognizing the role of um, suicide in um, fi- recognizing the role of firearms in suicide, um, which is really important for our teenagers. And then T is telling your peers to be smart. Well said. And I want to go back just a second ago. You mentioned, obviously, how pediatricians really want more of an opportunity to speak with families as they're in the office, while they're right there with you as your child's on the table and you guys are all having a moment. Mm -hmm. Does that happen a lot where do you personally get people to ask you questions about firearms? And is that something that you'd like to see happen more of or do you think it happens enough? Yeah, that's great questions. (laughs) Um, So the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that we have this conversation every time a child comes in to the clinic for a well child check. So that's happening pretty frequently when they're young, but every single time a teenager is coming in, we should be talking about this or if a child is in crisis. So if an adolescent is coming in thinking about harming themselves or someone else, we should really be thinking about access to firearms. We do an okay job of this as pediatricians, but we have a lot of room to grow. Um, But honestly, this was not part of our clinical training. I can tell you about the pathophysiology of asthma, about congenital heart disease. We talk about that until we're blue in the face in medical school, but this is not something that we get well-trained on. But the tides are turning. 
we are talking about this more and more, and it's becoming part of the curriculum from medical school to graduate medical education in our pediatrics training, in our emergency department training. And so it's becoming more of, of the norm, which I'm really excited to see. And the American Academy of Pediatrics takes this very seriously. So we have they have really dedicated funds and, and time to help pediatricians be more comfortable with this. And this was something that I was very um, lucky to be involved in. So I helped create a training for pediatricians. So if there's any pediatricians listening to this, <laughs> highly recommend. It's called Safer. Um, Safe Storage Prevents Harm. It's a free resource for any, honestly, it's not even just pediatricians. It's anybody who wants to learn more about this topic. It's totally free. Um, and we, hot off the press, just studied this um, and found that it increased providers' self-efficacy and their counseling frequency one month after they had taken this training. Wow. Okay. So, and also to our listeners, all the resources, both for the providers that Dr. Gustin now just mentioned, um, but also for parents, teachers, anybody who who's around children, I will have links to all of the resources that you spoke about on the bio of this episode. So if you're listening in the car, don't worry about it. Uh, when you get to a safe place and your, your engine's off or you're not moving, um, you can go in and you can click and learn about each one of those uh, resources because they sound amazing. And I think um, spreading the word about them is one of the only ways we can help mitigate what's going on in, in, uh, across the nation, but specifically here in Tennessee. So thank you so much for, for talking about those. Um, what advice do you have for Tennesseans who really want to do more to curb the harsh reality that guns are the number one killer of children in our state? Yeah, um, it is a harsh reality. And I think um, the first thing is that this is something that we can all do something about. Um, this is not a time to be hopeless. This is a time to be hopeful and for all of us to get off the sidelines and do something. There are things that we can all do as gun owners and non-gun owners. So we talked about one of the most important things, if there's a firearm, that we make sure, a firearm in the home, that we make sure that it's secured appropriately so that it's locked unloaded and separate from ammunition. Um, And the important thing to think about when we're thinking about kids is that hidden is not the same thing as safe. We are coming up on Christmas season and we know that you're going to be hiding your Christmas presents and those kids are going to find them. (laughs) And so the same thing is true when you think about a firearm. Hiding it under the couch, hiding it at the top of the closet is not the same thing as truly keeping it secure. So really making sure that you have a plan for how to have it secure, whether that be with a cable lock, a lockbox, or a safe is really important. And thinking about things outside of the home as well, we know that firearms are often stored in cars or vehicles as well. And unfortunately, in Tennessee, we are actually the state with the highest rate of guns stolen out of vehicles over the last 10 years. And so start to be proactive and thinking about how do we store those appropriately if we're leaving them in the vehicle, having things like lockboxes or things like that in the vehicle as well to keep our entire community safe from firearms. And if you're not a gun owner, really start thinking about how do I help curb this um, with thinking about asking about the presence of unsecured firearms in the homes that we go and visit. And, you know, because it's November, we it's election season and thinking about the connection between voting and our health. And so taking some of the data that we've talked about and really empowering that to use the next time you go to the to the voting box. 
Yeah, absolutely. Great advice. And and I want to say thank you again uh, for talking about this subject that can it's hard to discuss and no one likes to talk about it. But also, I can't imagine being in your shoes in an emergency room, as you mentioned at the very beginning of this episode and, and experiencing that. So thank you for all the work that you've done to get um, information out there to to Tennesseans, to parents, to families, uh, but also just in your work as a health care provider. You're doing amazing work. Uh, so thank you so much. And I I have so many questions, but I don't want to go for hours and hours on end. Uh, is there anything that I did not ask that you want to make sure our listeners uh, think about moving forward? Yeah, um, I can't tell you how grateful I am to be here and talk about this, something I'm so passionate about, but I'm, I'm passionate about it because we keep seeing it in our children. Um, I am privileged to have this opportunity to take care of children day in and day out. Um, but this is something that's impacting our community, I think, more than we realize. That ripple effect is real. Um, and something that keeps me up at night um, is is how much it's impacting and who it's impacting. Um, and so, our as, as you mentioned earlier, our black and brown communities are really suffering. The statistic that keeps me up at night the most is that when children, black children, 15 to 19 die, half of them are dying from a firearm. As a pediatrician, that's the definition of a failure to me. We are failing those kiddos. But again, this is not the time for hopelessness. This is a time to be hopeful. We have people out in the community doing really good work. So now is the time to support those people doing the really good work. Look for the violence intervention programs in your community. Look for the people who've been doing this work for years and support them. Um, and, and really think about how you as a community member can can play a role. Yeah. Great advice, great words of encouragement and hopeful courage, encouragement. Um, thank you again, Dr. Gastonaw. This has been a wonderful time speaking with you, and I really hope it it um, lights a fire under some of our listeners, if nothing else. And, and thank you again for being a guest on Roots and Wings. And to our listeners, thank you so much for listening. I'm Jonquil Newland.